What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Verse. It's your host, Nick, and today I got Dom on here with me. We're going to mainly talk about our professional sports here in Ohio. There's been a lot going on with the Bengals, obviously, but we're going to talk about their counterparts up in Cleveland in the Browns. And then we're also going to talk about the Cavaliers who share the same city as the Browns. But to start off, we're going to talk about the Bengals. Obviously, they're in the Super Bowl. So on this episode, I kind of wanted to get Dom's opinion on you know, how he thought the, the Bengals would fare against the Rams and what the Bengals needed to do to beat the Rams. Well, I mean, it's pretty simple. and They need to get to Matt Stafford, um, kind of disrupt that offense a little bit. Their defensive line is pretty good. Um, so I think they'll be able to generate a little bit of pressure. Um, and then Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase need to continue this amazing chemistry that they have. Um, because you're not going to be able to completely shut down the Rams offense. You're going to need to try to keep up with them. Um, you're, the defense is going to have to play hard. Joe Mixon's also going to have to run the ball a lot. It's going to take a lot for the Bengals to win it, but I think I think they have a shot. I In the uh, two-minute drill episode this week, I, I predicted the Bengals to win. I think they can do it. They play hard. They don't quit. There's Like I said, there's just something about this team that, you know, whenever – they're kind of down and everyone's counting them out. They answer the call and they come back and win. So everyone's counting them out. Everyone's picking the Rams. I think, I think the Bengals can do it. For me, for them to be able to beat the Rams, they got to not let Cooper Cup get behind them. Like you said, they got to make Matthew Stafford uncomfortable because when he's uncomfortable, he makes mistakes. And then Joe Burrow just has to keep being that dude. You know, I think I've said it multiple times that there's just something different about him. And he carries himself a lot differently than, you know, quarterbacks in the league, but he carries himself similarly to quarterbacks, you know, great quarterbacks that we've seen in the past. Mm -hmm. So I think that if he comes out there with that bravado and he just, you know, keeps playing, like he doesn't care what the score is. He doesn't care how much they're up, how much they're down, what's going on. He's going to go out there and he's going to give his best and he's going to beat you on every single play. So you, you look at the Bengals offensive line, they're not that great. They got a they got a tough matchup against the Rams defensive line, but you look at how Burroughs played. I mean, he got sacked nine times against Tennessee and still led the team to win. Even though he's been sacked a lot, he's still pretty mobile. He can escape some sacks, even though obviously he can't escape all of them. Mm-hmm. So I I think his mobility is is going to be huge because you're not going to be able to slow down Aaron Donald and everyone else that they have on that defensive line. No, yeah, I. I think that'll probably be the downfall of the Bengals is if is if we kind of see him on the run like we saw, you know, Patrick Mahomes on the run in the last Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Because I think because mm-hmm. you can't you can't be running around and, and you're just not able to make accurate throws when you're doing that. You know, not not everybody can right. do that 100 percent of the time. And if you're being chased for your life, like he's definitely not as you know, he's athletic, but I don't think he's as athletic as Patrick Mahomes or maybe even other no. quarterbacks in the league. So he's not going to be able to get away from those guys like Patrick Mahomes is able to. But I think that if they could just get the extra block every once in a while and give them an opportunity to get the ball down the field, I think that I think that, that they'll have some success. The only problem is, is that Rams secondary is pretty good as well, too. So it'll be interesting. Right. I, I, think, I think what we'll see – is a similar start to this game that we did with the Bengals and the Chiefs game. I think the Rams will get out to a, you know, a hot start. It might even be like a, you know, a three touchdown lead by the time halftime comes around. But I think Mm -hmm. the second half starts again, the Bengals defense will kind of lock in, figure it out, and then they'll start, 
you know, getting stops. And then, you know, Joe Burrow and the Bengals offense will start putting points on the board and hopefully they can chip away at that. You know what I mean? Obviously you're not going to be able to do that every single time, but their defense is going to have to step up a lot. And that offensive line is going to have to play better than they ever have before. So, but moving on, you know, we kind of talk a lot about Burrow and Chase, especially, you know, everybody else within the media, but where in 10 years do you think they'll be ranked among best quarterback wide receiver duo? Do you mean all time or like active in the NFL? I want to say all time because I feel like for, for the most part, quarterbacks and wide receivers only get about like eight to 12 years together. You know what I mean? So I think, I think if you give them like a 10, if, if they're able to stay together for 10 years, I think that's, mm-hmm. that's that's enough time to be able to compare them to other, you know, great wide receiver quarterback duos. Do you, and, and all I'm saying is, do you think that they'll be comparable to that? Do you think they'll even be in that conversation? I, I don't know. I, I think that the sample size is, isn't large enough. Um, it's only been one season, but if they can keep this up over the next 10 years, I, I, I think they will be top five, top 10 wide receiver quarterback combo. I mean, you got um, obviously Joe Montana, Jerry Rice. You got Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison, or Peyton Manning and Reggie Wayne. I'm trying to think, I'm my my brain's kind of drawing a blank on some of the other historic combinations. But I mean, I think I think if I think the only thing that hurts it is maybe the fallout. But you know, Big Ben and Antonio Brown probably would be in that conversation. I think if they were together for a couple more years, I think that would have helped out. Um, mm-hmm. Because like I said, it's 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 hard in in today's game. It's hard to keep players together because the amount of money that everybody makes, and there's really no, I don't want to say there's no loyalty, but at the end of the day, it's it's about it's about getting your you, you know the money and stuff like that. Not everybody's about there right. trying to win, but um, you know, I think if if Rogers and Adams could stay together longer, I think they'd be in a conversation too. Oh, absolutely. You know, if Drew Brees could play with Michael Thomas a little bit more. I think that would have been a fun one, but. Yeah, no, it's just interesting because I think especially this season that they put together, even even if they could put together, you know, 75 percent of that for, you know, every season for the next nine seasons. I feel like that's still that's still a pretty good career, but for the both of them together. So we'll have to see. It'll be interesting going forward. We'll have to see how they kind of, you know, produce here in the playoffs. But moving on to another personal part of this Bengals team, it is not going to be a player. It's going to be their head coach. So I've been kind of thinking about this a lot lately, you know, like not t- not taking anything away from him, you know, in, in Zach Taylor, but he gets a lot of praise for where they're at at this point. And in my opinion, I think that Joe Burrow is kind of Joe Burrow is like probably the number one reason why they're here at this point. But you add Chase to that, you add a lot of those guys in that defense. Um, I think that you know Zach Taylor kind of fell into a situation where they just they've just been drafting really well. And, you know, they they got Joe Burrow. But do you think that he deserves all the praise? Do you think that that he deserves, you know, the majority of the credit? Or do you think the majority of the credit kind of goes on Burrow and the rest of these guys that are out there playing? I mean, it's obviously got to be shared between Zach Taylor, Joe Burrow, um, the webs they have on offense, but also the GM. But if you're the head coach, you're the guy that sets the culture in the locker room. You're also coming up with schemes and making a game plan for guys to work well together, but you're also working with the GM and the coach and the GM have to be on the same page in terms of free agent signings and draft picks. 
So if you look at their, their drafts the last couple of years, they've been drafting so well because Zach Taylor and the GM have been pretty much on the same page. Um, I mean, I'm, Joe Burrow was obviously the consensus number one overall pick, but all the other signings and draft picks that they've had over the last couple of years, you know, Zach Taylor's had his hand in that and he's built a, a winning culture in an organization that really has not had a winning culture ever, you know, maybe since the eighties, the last couple of times he made the Super Bowl. But I, I think obviously he doesn't deserve all of the credit, but he is a big part in what the Bengals have become. Because I mean, he's he's a young coach. He knows how to relate to his players. His offensive schemes obviously are very good. Obviously, the players have to execute, but it's his schemes that they're executing, and he's he's doing a great job. Yeah, I mean, I I'm not saying he doesn't deserve any credit. You know what I mean? I I, I do think it's like a shared thing. I just I kind of go back to it like if I don't know they were just really bad for a year and they managed to get the number one pick and then Joe Burrow was there. You know what I mean? Like I mean, they they were bad for a couple. It was it was more yeah. than a couple years. They were really and I bad. and and I can I can agree like that he built a culture there. You know what I mean? I think that's hard to do, especially when you're losing. You know what I mean? To build a culture of of still putting effort in. I think you know Dan Campbell did an amazing job with that with the Lions this year. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It it's that it just it kind of like I think it goes back to that like Brady Belichick question. You know what I mean? And what what means more? You know the the quarterback that can get you wins, or you know the head coach that you know puts the quarterback in the game. I guess you know what I mean. The chicken the chicken or the egg. <laughs> so right, right, definitely interesting. I th- I think we'll see it going forward. You know what I mean? It, it'll be, but I I think Zach Taylor's a good coach. I think that. He definitely is going to continue to put, you know, Burrow and those rest of those guys. And, and they have drafted really well. I think for a team that doesn't like to spend money in free agency, they have drafted really well over the past three or four years. Mm-hmm. And that has shown, you know what I mean? That that helps a lot. So, Well, and you you look at this last offseason, they spent money. They brought in dudes that helped solidify that defense. Obviously, it's still not an elite-level defense, but it's played well enough to get them to the yeah. Super Bowl, and well, they've and made they, a lot of And they didn't have to overpay for those guys either. I, I think that's the most important thing as well, too. Like yeah. those, guys, those guys saw what this team looked like, you know what I mean, and where it could go. Because you get you get guys like uh, Mike Hilton from the Steelers. Um, I don't know who else, like what, Eli Apple, um, mm-hmm. who kind of like has kind of – I don't like to say he's resurrected his career, but he's definitely shown that he can play at a high level still. Right, um, and – all of those guys said that they came to Cincinnati because of Joe Burrow and Von Bell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So no, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, listen, I, and I, like I said before, I'm not, I'm not hating on Zach Taylor for all the Zach Taylor lovers out there. I, I think he's, I think he's a good person. <laughs> I think, I think that he was a good fit for the program, obviously um, after they had moved on from Marvin Lewis, but I just think that Burrow is a huge a huge addition that can't be overlooked. He's he's brought a lot of these guys in and he's put them in positions to win. So I don't know. We'll see going forward. Talking about wins and losses though, regardless of the outcome of this Super Bowl, the Bengals won the AFC championship. So are they the team to beat moving forward? Because obviously you have them, you have the Chargers, um, you have the Chiefs, obviously the Bills. I think the Ravens and Lamar Jackson, they'll figure it out. Obviously, the Patriots with Mac Jones, I think he's going to be pretty solid going forward. Um, I don't think the Titans are going to go anywhere with Derrick Henry. I think they need to figure out what they want to do with Ryan Tannehill, or Ryan Tannehill needs to figure out how to be a little bit better of a passer. Um, 
but do you think that they're the team to beat in the AFC going forward? Or do you think we'll kind of see this carousel of teams representing the AFC over the next 10 years? I think it's going to be, it's definitely going to be a carousel. I mean, do you look at how competitive the playoff race was this year? It was what, eight, nine teams. Mm-hmm. No, it, it was more than that. I, I want to say it was like 10, 11 teams that were still fighting for a playoff spot and going into the last week of the season. I mean, it was so it on a tie <laughs> between right. the Chargers and the Raiders. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah, I, the, the AFC is so competitive right now. I think over the next couple of years, obviously the Bengals are going to be in contention. They're going to be one of the top teams in the AFC. I, I don't know if they'd necessarily be the team to beat. I don't, I actually don't think that there'd necessarily be one t- team as a team to beat. I think it'd be kind of like a, an upper echelon of teams. Cause I mean, you look at the AFC, you've got the Bengals, the Bills and the chiefs, I think are the elite teams. But then you got like this middle tier of teams that are also very, very good. Like the Chargers, you got the Titans, um, you know, like, my, my brain's drawing a blank here. The Patriots and the Ravens. probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Patriots, those are teams that are also very good that can beat, you know, the Bills, the Bengals and the Chiefs on any given Sunday. And then. I don't know. You, you got teams like the Browns, if they can figure things out, that's a team that could be scary. If they, if they could figure things out, they could be scary. I mean, you still have the Raiders. That's not a, that's a solid squad. I mean, right. Obviously if the, if the Dolphins can figure it out, I think letting go of Brian Flores was kind of, was kind of dumb. Well, that, I, I think that that was a huge mistake by them. I, I think that's really going to hurt them going forward. Yeah. But but if they if they can find if they can find somebody to to you know helm the ship there, I think Tua is developing pretty well. You know what I mean? I think he's just it, and that's a conversation for another day about you know our expectations of quarterbacks coming out of college. You know, not everybody's going to be a Patrick Mahomes or not everybody's going to be a Joe Burrow. It takes time, or right? Mark. So it, it well, takes three or four years to kind of develop in, into into what you're going to be for the rest of your career. And I think we give up too early on quarterbacks, but. Like right. said, that's, that's, but, that's, that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> right. But I mean, look, if you look at another team, you look at the Colts that mm-hmm. have a, a very, very talented roster, but they're just, you know, one quarterback away yeah. from, from being really dangerous. I mean, they brought in Carson Wentz who played a hell of a lot better than he did in Philadelphia. Well, he, but he, had, he it, had a hell of a lot of better roster around him. But well, yeah, cool. he had a he had a better roster around him, but it still didn't. You know, he played. Well. Yeah, then the yeah, he, he still failed. Right. So, if they were to able to get a quarterback, they can get them a little bit better quarterback play. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that that roster needs an elite level quarterback, but they need someone just a little bit better than Carson Wentz, and that team can be a scary team in the playoffs, especially yeah. if Jonathan Taylor can continue <laughs> the amazing season that he had. Let me let me ask you this before we move on real quick. Just like a because I because I'll say I I agree with you. I think that and I don't know if I would call the Bengals an elite team. I think that Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase are elite, and I think that helps them get past teams like the Chiefs and the Bills. I think when you look at the elite teams in the AFC, it's really just the Chiefs and the Bills. And it just depends on whether or not they beat themselves in these games. You know what I mean? I I, I said it, you know, a couple weeks ago on two-minute drill. I think the Chiefs and the Bills game was our Super Bowl. I think that was the two best teams that played each other, and that was the best game that we were going to get this season. 
unfortunately, they're just in the same conference. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that, that was one of the best football games that I've ever seen. But yeah, I mean, but I, if, if you look at how the Bengals have played, like not only have they kept up with the with those teams, they beat the Chiefs twice. And yeah, they made Patrick Mahomes make mistakes and they made the Chiefs shoot themselves in the foot. But th- those mistakes were caused by how good the Bengals defense was playing. And it's not just Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, who also can't forget about Joe Mixon and T Higgins. And they also got Tyler Boyd and CJ Ozama. So it's really not just Listen, I'm not, Jamar I'm not, Chase. I'm not saying they're not a good team, but like when, when you talk about like, when you look at a totality of a team and how they, how they play and, and how they beat down other teams, I just don't, I think, I think the Bengals are in this category right now of like, they're, they're almost like, you know, the early Pittsburgh teams with Ben Roethlisberger that won those two Super Bowls, like they're not, they, they don't, they don't win pretty games. It's not pretty. It's not sexy. It's not like high, it's gritty. It's gritty and you've got to grind it out and they're barely winning, but they're getting it done. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like almost like most two early 2000s games, like it was just really, really gritty, like long drives, like those kinds of things that, that, that's how they're playing. And I don't, I don't think that necessarily makes them elite. I just think that they're finding ways to win. And I think as they continue to grow and they continue to add pieces, I think you could start talking about them in that conversation of, of being elite. You know what I mean? But again, elite elite is like year by year. So next year we can have a different, you know, elite right. three at the top because of, of things happening. But you know what I mean? Like the, the five or six teams that we've mentioned already on the AFC, I, I guess the point that I was getting to um, my question was, do you think that the AFC is just a better overall conference than the NFC now? You know what I mean? I think because before we saw the NFC had a lot of good players, a lot of good quarterbacks, a lot of good teams. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, do you think that the AFC is, is really just – because in my mind, I, I don't see this many good young quarterbacks in the NFC that I do with the AFC. Like when I look at the future of the AFC, I'm like, wow, this is going to be fun football to watch. But I just oh, don't yeah. see that in the NFC. So what do you think? Uh, absolutely. I mean, if, if you look at a couple years ago, it's the complete opposite. But if you look at if you look at the AFC now, it's just so, so competitive and it, it, it might get even better if Aaron Rodgers decides to head to Denver like everyone's saying. And now now you add, you, you know, Aaron Rodgers to to a, a conference that already has arguably the be- the best quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, I, I heard you know, today that uh, that uh, Tennessee was was a potential landing spot. Yeah. I mean, that, that would also make sense for them too, but either way he'd be going to the AFC. So, I mean, you, you look, you got Josh Allen, you got Joe Burrow, you have Patrick Mahomes, Derek Carr, um, and then Justin Herbert. There's already a ton of good quarterbacks. And then, and then you bring in Aaron Rodgers. It's, it's going to be very tough. Um, I think the next couple of years, the winner of the AFC is, probably going to win the Super Bowl because those are clearly going to be the best teams. Yeah. Well, we'll kind of cut off the Bengals talk there, but we're going to move up north to Cleveland, talk about the Browns uh, a little bit. I know Dom probably looked at some of these topics that I put up here and he probably wasn't super happy to talk about it, but we're going to get into it because Dom is one of our resident Browns fans here at the podcast. So I kind of wanted to get his opinion on, you know, what he thought of the Browns future <laughs> and, and everything as well. So you know, obviously, first up, I was thinking about this because, you know, there was so much hype behind this team the past couple of years. And I think I said it to you, whether it was on a show or we were just talking, you know, in private or whatever. But 
I think the Browns have been like one of the most affected teams when it comes to COVID and you add injuries to that. And I think that's really mm-hmm. kind of derailed their success. Um, obviously there's other things that have gone on, you know what I mean? I, but do you think that they missed their window now that the Bengals have emerged? You know what I mean? Obviously you have Joe Burrow and the Bengals, you have Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Um, I think the Steelers are going to go through a little bit of a lull period unless they just magically find a quarterback to step in, but that usually mm-hmm. doesn't happen. But for them, they they figure out how to do it every so often, every 18 to 20 years. So maybe they'll figure it out. I don't know. But do you think they missed their window to kind of be AFC North champs? You know, obviously they could still make the playoffs. I'm not saying that, but what do you think? I'm going to say no, um, mostly because I think Andrew Barry is one of the best GMs in football. Um, he's incredibly smart. He knows I mean, he, he knows how to, how to build a team. He knows how to identify talent. Um, so I, I think as long as you have the, one of the better GMs, you'll be, you'll be all right. Um, I mean, you look at how they played this year. I mean, who knows what Baker could have been if it wasn't for all the injuries, because it wasn't just the labrum. He also had a fractured shoulder. He had a knee injury, he had a foot injury. I'm not, I mean, I I've been on the fence about Baker for the past year. I think he's not a, a franchise quarterback, but I think, he's not as bad as how he played this year. I think he's somewhere around where he was last year. I think he might've overachieved a little bit in 2020, but I don't think he's as bad as how he played this year. So if we have a little bit better quarterback play, then we win a couple more games because honestly his play this year costs us three, four, maybe even five games this year. So if Baker, Baker can come back healthy, play a little bit better, hopefully a lot better, but if he can play a little bit better than what he did, and if we can figure out what what the hell this wide receiver room is, then I I think this defense is good enough to carry a team. Hell, this defense carried the team to eight wins this year because the offense sure as hell didn't do anything. You know, at at times the defense was also asked to play offense. We were were relying on the defense to to get turnover touchdowns. Trust me, as a Steelers fan, I can relate. (laughs) Right. So – we have a young team. We still have Nick Chubb, who's one of the best running backs in football. We'll have Kareem Hunt, also one of the best running backs in football. But then you have Dearness Johnson that really emerged this year is a very good running back. I think Dearness Johnson could be a starting running back for a hand, more than a handful of teams in this league. They also The Browns also have a ton of cap space still. They'll have, I want to say, 20, 25 mil in cap space. And they'll probably be clearing out some because – I think they'll be cutting um, Jarvis Landry um, in this offseason. So that will clear up 16 mil. And you got a, a free agent wide receiver class that's really strong. If you, can, if you can go get a good wide receiver in free agency and then address the wide receiver position in the draft, I don't see why this team you know, couldn't be considered one of the best teams in the AFC North, mostly because that defense. I, I, I was really impressed with how this defense played this year. They got off to a little bit of a rough start, but I mean, if you look week five onwards, they were, they were lights out. Well, and it's not even like they played that bad either. Cause I mean, what they had to play the chiefs and they, they, they played some really like, you know, high powered offenses, I think at the beginning of the season. So it's not, it's not like they like had a bad start. It's just, they kind of ran into the buzz solo of their schedule there, but. Well, the beginning of the season was rough in terms of who like offenses that we had to play, but we also had, I want to say eight new starters on offense. And a couple of them were rookies. So it, it takes a while for 
guys to learn how to play with each other. But once we did, man, that, that defense was, was solid. Yeah. Listen, I mean, and I've, I've talked to you about this too, since like when Baker came out, I, I loved his attitude. I loved how hard he played. I loved how much he put into it, but I, I always knew that he wasn't like, he wasn't going to be that guy who was like super gifted when it came to passing the football. You know what I mean? He was going to be a guy who was going to turn around, hand the ball off and do lots of play action. Like a, like a Kirk Cousins, like a Jimmy Garoppolo, like a Ryan Tannehill. These guys, like they're not bad quarterbacks. Like they're starting level quarterbacks in the NFL. But like you said, they're not, he's not a franchise quarterback. And I think that's kind of what really hurts them. And I think that's why their window might be, I'm not going to say that they, they won't make the playoffs. Cause I mean, I, I think that this division is still going to be a really competitive division going forward. Even if the Steelers mm-hmm. don't have a quarterback, that their defense is always going to be top five. So it's going to be a competitive division regardless. And I think that they'll always have an opportunity to make the playoffs. But I think at this point with Lamar and with Joe Burrow and how, you know, how good those teams are around them, I think that I think they've lost their chance to really win that division for a couple of years, unless something drastic happens. You know what I mean? Cause I guess kind of skipping a topic real quick and going down is, is more of a point than a topic, but you know, since Joe Burrow has been drafted, the Bengals went from, you know, when are we going to see them to start having success again to them being in the Super Bowl? And in the same breath, the Browns went from, wow, this is a Super Bowl caliber team to wondering if Baker's even the quarterback of their future and if they're even going to be able to win the AFC North at this point. So I guess to that point, it's like, as Browns fans, I can understand where you guys are being defensive about it a little bit because you're like, oh, lots of things are going wrong. And I can listen. I can admit to that. The injuries, COVID, COVID has wrecked them more than anybody, I think, in the league, especially just in sports in general. But I don't know. It, you, you, can't, you can't look at it and, and be a little worried about them oh, absolutely. Not, not, not knowing what they're going to do and not having, you know, I'm not going to say an identity, but not, not having a guy going forward that can lead that team. Oh, I, I'm absolutely worried. I mean, do you look at, you know, Baker will be going into year five. And in all honesty, in you know four years that he's played, he's only really been good for a year and a half. You know, it, his rookie year, he didn't start every game, but he came out and played great. He had 27 touchdowns his rookie year. His sophomore year was terrible, but he still he still put up decent numbers his, his sophomore year. Jarvis Landry and OBJ both had a thousand yards receiving. More or less, it was a down year. 2020 led the Browns to 11 and five, won a playoff game. And then you look this year, awful. But I mean, even going into 2020, the first seven weeks, he was below average. It took OBJ getting injured and, you know, the Browns running the ball more for them to really figure out that offense. Like, like I said, I, I don't think, I don't think Baker's the, the guy going forward. I think he'll play out this year. Most likely he'll play out this year, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they trade for someone. And they'll try to make the best of it, you know, going into this next season, I think Baker's the most likely, he's the most likely answer going into this next season. I don't think bringing in Kirk Cousins is going to make that drastic of a difference. The biggest appeal to um, Kirk Cousins or even Garoppolo, I've seen a lot of Browns fans say that they want Garoppolo. Not only do they put up better numbers, but there's no drama with them. You know, you look at Baker and his wife, there's a lot of off the field, not so much issues but more so drama especially with social media and and especially with the local media you don't see that at all with Kirk Cousins or Jimmy Garoppolo 
So I, I think that's also a lot of the appeal because in all honesty, I think Browns fans are a little bit tired of all the drama going on with Baker and social media and all that. I guess I wanted to get your opinion, you know, as a Browns fan, has Kevin Stefanski kind of lived up to the hype of his hiring? Cause I think when he was hired, people were like, this is probably the best, you know, Browns coaching hire that they've had in a long time. You know what I mean? So has, has he lived up to the hype? Has he not lived up to the hype? Do you think maybe he's done as well as he could have with what he has, or do you think he could have done better? I mean, obviously every coach, there's going to be aspects where they can do better, but I think in two years, I think he's been a great coach. You look at what he did last year, his first year as a head coach, they went seven or 11 and five and made the playoffs this year. Obviously the team regressed a little bit, but I, Obviously, Stefanski had some mistakes with play calling. But if you go back and, and watch some of the, the game film, a, a lot of the offensive issues were on Baker because dudes were open. He was just missing a lot of them or dudes were dropping the ball, but they were open. And that's all to a lot of Stefanski's schemes. Um, I think he obviously he still has control of that locker room and I, I, he has the respect of everyone in the organization. But people also got to remember that he's only, what, 36, 37? You know, he's, he's younger than some players in the NFL. And it was, his only, it was only his second season in the league as a head coach. So I think, you know, people obviously are quick to judge. And, you know, even though you have one good year, if you have one bad year following that, everyone's questioning everything that you've done in your whole career. I, I, I think that's, you know, a little ridiculous. I think he's going to be a great coach going forward. I mean, he's he's smart. He knows what he's doing. I think they're going to be fine. I think he's going to be fine. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think, in my opinion, when you, when you hire a new head coach, I think, like, for me, the rule would be six years. And because I think that it takes five years to realistically, first of all, build a culture, you know, build a culture that you want. I think it takes five years to really kind of put the team together to where you want it. Obviously you can have early bloomers, you know what I mean? Like the Bengals, if you have a guy that kind of just falls in place like Joe Burrow, but I think it takes, you know, about four or five years for you to really like put the team together that you want, you know what I mean? Cause you still have guys under contract from the old, you know, system and whatever it may be. But I think when you talk about that fifth and that sixth year, that's really the test. If you're not able to show me that you can be successful and compete at a high level in that fifth or sixth year, then then I I don't know, you know, if if you would stick around after that point. But obviously, he's only had two seasons. They made the playoffs once. They made it to, you know, was it the divisional round? Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously this year they just their quarterback was injured. You know what I mean? And and when he wasn't injured, he was not playing well. I don't think that's really on him. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that he does, I think that he deserves a chance to be the coach there for, you know, a a good bit of time. So to, to, to see if he can be, you know, continue that success and sustain that success. I think the worst thing that the Browns have done, um, is get rid of coaches too early. Obviously there's guys that and you're like, yeah, they're, they're not like Freddie kitchens. I don't even really know why that guy was hired as the head coach to begin with, but you should, yeah, he should have never been hired in the first place. <laughs> yeah. But then, then you also look at – In his third season at this point, because I think he was a finalist for that position. But mm-hmm. but no, I, I, I agree with you. I think I think that 
that he's done a fine job. I wouldn't say that he's lived up to the hype, you know what I mean? Because I think that everybody was kind of expecting a little bit more to this point. But I, I think when you when you realistically look at it, I think he's done a phenomenal job. And, and he's right. going to continue to do a phenomenal job. I, I think a lot of people got a little too high on the Browns too fast because you can't, you can't go from – you can't just look at a team on paper and be like, they're going to win a Super Bowl when they haven't shown you that they can compete at that high of a level yet. You know what I mean? So I think there was some undue, um, you know, pressure or an undue level that he had to to reach. And I think that, you know, realistically, when you realistically look at, at what he should have accomplished, he's really accomplished a lot of stuff. So, Right. I mean, if you look at the last two years, I would have expected his first year to go how this year went and how last year went. I would have expected that this year. Um, but I think a lot of the hype, around the team this year was because he was able to step in, provide some stability to an organization that had to deal with Freddie Kitchens and Hugh Jackson, and then what 15 other head coaches in the past 20 years. So he was able to bring some stability and, you know, finally give the organization some promise. And then they go out and make the playoffs and get to the divisional round. So I understand why there was so much hype, but I, I think the hype maybe got a little too much and people's expectations were a little too high. I think a lot of Browns fans had this year a Super Bowl or bust when really it should have been, let's get to the playoffs again and, and build from there. Let's just continue to build a successful season. And Right. You, you got to walk before you can run. And, you know, the, the Browns were finally showing last year that they were able to walk. And everyone's like, all right, now go sprint. And the Browns are like, we don't know how to do that yet. Well, talking about a team that is sprinting at this point, we're going to go ahead and talk about our Cleveland Cavaliers. Who A good transition there, bud. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, like, wow. I'm, I'm wearing the hat right now, Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm super freaking excited. You know what I mean? I think we've kind of you know stuck with them through this, like, rebuild after this, you know, second departure of LeBron James. And they have done a phenomenal job. Because at this point, you know, they are consistently staying in the top five in the East and they are winning games and they are beating teams who are considered good teams. And I think the Cavs are considered a a good team at this point. So I I wanted to get, you know, your opinion on on have the Cavs finally figured out how to build, you know, sustained success at this point? Or do you think they still have a little bit to go before they figure it out? I think what they've built is absolutely sustainable um, because of how young the team is and the culture that J.B. Bickerstaff has been able to establish in the, over the last couple of years. And this team, they don't quit. They play hard. They play defense. I, I think that's something that was really lacking the last couple of years was, was defense. You know, everyone saw with, you know, Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, the potential that they had on offense even um, last year when Jared Allen came in and was, was showing a lot of promise last year, offensively, everyone, at least I figured that eventually they'd be able to figure it out, but their defense was awful. And they, they turned it around. They're one of the best defensive teams in the league. Um, I think that's something that they'll continue going forward. They keep playing hard and they're all really young. You know, I think that's absolutely sustainable. It's not like, you know, the 20, the recent LeBron era Cavs that were all, you know, veterans that were at or past their prime that were just trying to win another championship. And then as soon as they win that, they were going to go. I think this is something that's absolutely sustainable. 
I think a lot of people were confused, especially when they looked at the Lori marketing trade and they were like, what the heck are you doing? I mean, you've got, you got Mobley, you got Allen. Now you have marketing, you have Kevin Love. Like what, what is this team supposed to be? And there was lots of jokes made about it and it's worked. <laughs> they are very effective on the boards. They're very effective, you know, on interior defense and they have athletic bigs. You know, Mobley and Markinen can guard out on the perimeter as well, too. So they can guard some of those bigs that can move out to the perimeter. And I'm not saying they're as athletic as somebody like yes or Kevin Durant or something like that, but they they can put up better of a chance than what they were able to in the past. You know, I mean, you can you can see that beat down that they put on the uh, Bucks a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. or last week, probably. But it's just it's it, it's so interesting to see. You know what I mean? I think Garland, our, our all star. All-Star Reserve Garland. All-Star Reserve. There we go. I think that he has come into his own and he is leading this team. Not only, you know, he's he's not leading it by scoring a ton of points, but he's leading the team. And I think that's that's something that's more valuable. You look at like, you know, CP3 and a lot of people have him in the MVP conversation. I mean, I don't think he's going to win it because he's not really putting up crazy numbers, but I think he's in that conversation because he's leading the team and that sometimes is so much more valuable than putting up crazy numbers. And Garland is, I'm not going to say Garland's on the level of CP3 at this point, but he, he is doing those kinds of things to put his teammates in positions to be successful. And I think that's, that's why this team is where they're at right now, along, you know, with that and their defense, like you said, but do you, how far do you think this team could go this season? Realistically, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't want to be like, Oh my God, we're going to win a championship. But like realistically, how well, far do you think this team could go this season? Obviously, they're making the playoffs. I think this team is good enough that they, I think they can win a playoff series, especially if they can stay at the top of the East and get home field advantage in, you know, the first round of the playoffs. I think this is a team that can make a pretty decent playoff run, maybe push, uh, you know, a second round matchup to six or seven games maybe even surprise some people and, you know, get to the final or the Eastern conference finals. But I forgot where I saw it. I, I think it was an article that I read somewhere that the Cavs are actually one of the most likely teams to make the NBA finals this year coming out of the East favored more than the favored more than the Nets because the Nets have completely collapsed on themselves. Um, the bulls with all their injury issues, you know, the only team that, and the only two teams that really stand in their way are the Heat and the Bucks, And, you know, the Cavs show that they can beat both teams because they have consistently this season. So I, I think, you know, the hype around this team is kind of justified. And I, I think they can really make a good playoff run. This is what I'll say. Realistically, I think realistically they have a good shot of making the finals because of one thing. They remind me so much of that Heat team that went to the championship a couple years ago because one, mm-hmm. they, they play gritty and they play tough, hard basketball. And two, they play selfless basketball. And the third reason is that Garland runs that team so successfully. And if he continues to do that, I think that they have a, a good chance of getting past other teams in the East. Now, obviously, to say that they have a 100% chance of getting to the finals when you talk about them having to go in a seven-game series against Giannis, I think that that that's a tough ask for anybody. 
You know what I mean? I think that Miami Heat squad, they're still dogs. Like that, that's that that's a tough squad. Like, I don't know. I mean, you have Tyler Hero coming off the bench dropping 20, 25 points a night. So it's just you can't those are hard teams to get past in a seven game series, but if they can continue the formula and they can continue to go out there and play the kind of brand of basketball that they're playing, I think they have a good shot realistically. Um, I, I, I can, I can almost guarantee they'll get past the first round unless something crazy happens, but but yeah, it's exciting. If you, if you kind of took a sabbatical as a Cleveland Cavs fan the past like three or four years, Welcome back. Come on back. You got to come, come back. Come on back. We, we gotta haven't gone anywhere. Back. We've been experiencing the sadness, but come on back. It, it's, listen, this is going to be a fun, a fun team to watch. JB Biggerstaff is, is coach of the year. I don't care what anybody else says. He is coach of the year because. Yeah. And Evan Mobley's rookie of the year. Yeah. Evan Mobley's rookie of the year. Garland deserves to be an all-star. I think realistically, if you look at it, Jaron Allen might even if there wasn't so many good, you know, forwards or bigs in the league, I think Jared Allen would be considered, you know, should be considered for, as an all-star as well too. Um, and then, you know, Kevin Love, our, our man for a dollar that at the beginning of the season, Greg and I wanted to sell this man for a dollar, but he has, <laughs> <laughs> he has he's, he's finally embraced the role that we yeah. thought that he was going to embrace when he signed that extension. Yeah. And then wow. I, I, I get, you know, why he was, you know, maybe, maybe sad or not sad, but like kind of upset going from playing with LeBron and Kyrie winning a championship to playing with, you know, a bunch of dudes that are, are rookies and going through a rebuilding process. I get that can be a tough, a tough transition, um, but obviously he didn't handle it the best, but I'm re- really glad that he, he accepted this role. Mm-hmm. I mean, he even said recently he's having more fun now than he did playing with LeBron and Kyrie. And um, those teams have made the finals. But, you know, you just said, you know, we stuck around. We went through the pain, you know, the last couple of years. I, I think going through that pain of the last couple of years you know, makes this a little bit sweeter. You know, it, I think it makes us enjoy it more. You know, go, and, and you know what? Going through and seeing what this team was last year. They, were, they had 20, 22, 24 wins last year. And now they're considered one of the best teams in the East. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing. Just the acquisition of talent, I think, in the past for the Cavs has not always been the best. They haven't made the best decisions. They haven't made the best draft picks. But the past three or four years, they have hit on almost everything. And even even down to the the, the role-playing guy. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, you look I'm, at I'm, how Ricky Rubio was playing before he got injured. That, yes. That, that was an amazing signing. And then, you know, they turned around and they went out and got Rondo. You know, I, I know Rondo is probably a little bit past what we've seen him in the past, but I do. Yeah, think but he, he's a good veteran leader and can, can step in. He can, he can help Garland develop even more into the facilitator that we're all seeing him become. There is one guy that we haven't talked about. And oh, well, we, me and you talked about him recently. Probably because he's been injured and he hasn't really been a part of the team for a little bit. But we did have this conversation outside of the show. And, you know, I wanted to bring it back. So Colin Sexton, I think when you look at it going forward, he's going to have to probably sign a new contract at the end of this season. I think it depends on how much it's going to be. It depends on what team it's going to be with. I think he's going to be a restricted free agent. So whoever offers him whatever they want, the Cavs can match. But two questions. Is he an essential piece 
to this team's success moving forward when we talk about that sustained success? And is he still a part of this organization after? So breaking this down, you know, the, the, your, first, your first question, is he essential? No. Obviously, they're playing well right now without him. But he, he's that little cherry on top. You know, his, his, the scoring that he brings is not essential. But, wow, you, you, when he's playing well, I think that scoring is it, – it could really benefit the team. Um, I know he's been out. He hasn't been playing, but he's still around the team. You know, he's he's on the bench rooting, you know, cheering for the guys. You know, he's still around the team. And I, I think that says a lot about him as a teammate. It says a lot about him as a person that he's still buying in. You know, he's he had injury. He had surgery. He's expected to miss the rest of the season. He could have very easily just said, all right, I'm going to go home. I'm going to rehab. I'll see you guys in the offseason. But he stayed here. He's with his teammates. He's rehabbing with the facility. Yeah, I, he's he's still bought in. He's you know has the goal of coming back for the playoffs. You know, he even said it's not if it's when I come back for the playoffs and help this team with the playoff run. You know, the fact that he wants to be here and to be a part of the team, I think, says a lot. I I personally would sign him going forward. I think him and Garland can play together. I mean, we look at how they played um, their second full season together combined. They averaged forty one point eight points together. They both shot 45% from the field, you know, with Garland obviously being the point guard and facilitator and um, Sexton moving over to the shooting guard. The last couple of years, their best lineups have been with with um, Garland and Sexton on the floor together. I I personally, I wouldn't pay him max money because I don't think – I, I would only give max contracts to someone like Garland or truly cornerstone pieces that are vital for your organization. But I definitely – would want him back. I, I agree with you. I don't think he's an essential piece. You know what I mean? I, I think that when you kind of look at you, I mean, you even said it, but last year they had 20 wins and this year they're a third in the East, second in the East. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with Mobley and Allen um, joining the team. Obviously, Markinen is mm-hmm. very helpful to that as well. And, you know, Kevin Love's newfound joy to play with the Cavs has really added to that as well. But I think there has to be something to say, like like when I said before, this this selfless basketball. And I'm not saying that Colin Sexton doesn't pass the ball, but when the ball hits his hands, it stops. Like guys like Kyrie Irving and and Westbrook, the ball just kind of stops in his hands. And it's not it's not that he's not a good player. Like he he's going to get you points, like you said. He's going to score a lot of points, but that doesn't play to their brand of basketball. So I think you know, like we had a conversation the other day, him coming off the bench as a six man during the playoffs. I think that would be key you know he could lead that second unit put up points and give you know some of those starters especially Darius Garland uh, you know a rest in that situation but going forward I I just have a feeling he he wants he wants that rookie max extension he that's that's what he wants he wants that money and well every every NBA player is going to want that money well and but to my point I think that somebody's going to be willing to give it to him because of how good of a scorer he is what he could potentially develop into and if somebody offers them that, I just don't – I have the feeling that the Cavs would match it just to keep them around. And I think both of us would agree that they shouldn't do that. But I think that a sign-and-trade in the offseason is really kind of going to be where he's going to be at. I think they're going to find somebody who wants to pay him that money. 
and finds him that valuable. And they're going to do a sign and trade and try to get some pieces back in return to kind of continue to, you know, to build towards this sustained success that they want to build towards. So I just, I don't, I don't know if he's going to be a part of the organization after this season, but you know, to your point, if he can be inserted in this starting lineup and he can play selfless basketball and him and Garland can play next to each other and they can continue to be successful, pay him, keep him around. Yeah. I mean, do it. I I, I just, I think that's a big if because that's not really his game. You know what I mean? So he, he would have to change the way he plays. And it's not like he can do that right now because he's coming back from surgery. Right. But like I said, he's still around the team. He's still around the culture. He knows what kind of basketball that they're playing right now and that they want to play going forward. You know, will he be able to play that kind of basketball? That's yet to be seen. But I'm, I'm sure as hell, you know, a believer that he's going to try to at least assimilate back with the team. But you know, also, like I said, him and Garland combined were averaging 41.8 points a game last year. So, I mean, they're able to play together or you can have Sexton come off the bench and provide some scoring off the bench for this team that, you know, is sometimes lacking. I, I think that could be a great addition, you know, for a deep playoff run. It'll, like I said, and I think we agree to this point, him coming off the bench, I think will be especially Mm -hmm. for the playoffs, but I just don't, I don't see him and Garland fitting well enough together for them to keep both of them on the team. I think they would have to go with one or the other. And Garland is just the ultimate team leader. Oh, he's the dude. Like, obviously if you have to decide between Sexton and Garland, I'm, I'm taking Garland, you know, every time. But nothing to take away from him. Like I said, I, I, right. I, I really, I love the pick of Colin Sexton when they picked him. I think that, you know, they kind of fell in that eight spot. And, but I, I do think that he did a really good job of, he's done a really good job of developing and kind of turning into that offensive threat that he, that he is. But again, I just think that when you look at teams like the Cavs, you look at teams like the Suns, that, that selfless past first, like, you know what I mean? We're going to move the ball, like the Warriors. That is, that is a brand of basketball that people have found really successful in the past. And I just don't think that he fits that mold. I think that he fits a team where he's going to be the guy that has the ball. And if somebody else gets the ball, it's because they're catching it off the rebound. And that, that is just what it is. So that doesn't mean that he's bad. It just, that's just his brand of basketball, but that pretty much does it. Do you have anything else to add on our topics, Dom? Uh, no, that's pretty much it. We've, I think we've both pretty much said everything that we wanted to say. Yeah. And again, congratulations to Darius Garland for making the all-star team. I think, I think last show, Greg and I said that he was probably the one that, that you know, him and Allen deserved to probably be a part of it. I thought that Garland deserved to be a part of it, you know, the most out of the team because of what he's done, especially leading the team and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm super happy for him. I think that's a great opportunity, especially for him to kind of get in there and collab with some of the, some of the greats. You know what I mean? He's going to get to play with you know, next to Giannis or LeBron or Curry or, you know, Durant's not going to play, but he's going to get to play next to some of these guys. And, you know, that's a great opportunity to pick their brains, see what they do and and improve. And I think that's, that, that's probably like the most exciting thing about the all-star game for me is kind of allowing these, these guys who we consider the best to play on the same team together. And that's always fun. But to end the show, we always end with our double take segment here. 
And I don't know, Dom, have you been a part of the show before and done the double take segment? Um, I think I was I was on the show once previously, but it was a couple months ago. Okay, there you go. So you, sh- you should pretty much know how it works. So I'll let you start it mm-hmm. off. We're going to go with one thing that you think will happen in the sporting world over the next two weeks. It could be anything in any sport. Over the next two weeks, I think the Cincinnati Bengals will be crowned Super Bowl champions and bring the Lombardi Trophy for the first time in our lifetime to Ohio. You stole mine. I agree with you. <laughs> Listen, Joe Burrow is different. And until he shows me that he's not that dude, I don't know. I just, it, it pains me to be a Steelers fan and to watch the Bengals have this kind of a guy at quarterback. But as a football fan, I'm excited. I'm really excited yeah. to watch him play for the next, hopefully, 20 years. So I don't know. Safe to say that they're no longer the Bungles. <laughs> no, no, they, they, they are the Joe Burrows. So, <laughs> I, like I said, man, that he is, he is amazing. You know what I mean? I, I think that a lot of people, you know, will say, how could the Buckeyes get rid of him? But he was not the Joe Burrow that we know today at Ohio State. He became that when they moved on from him and he went to LSU and he changed his mindset and became a, a different person on the field. Yeah. And you know, that's another thing that a uh, little rant here. <laughs> what drives me crazy about Ohio state fans sometimes, and don't, don't get me wrong. I'm an Ohio state fan. So I'm, I guess I'm kind of lumped into this as well. But why the hell do Ohio state fans try to claim Joe Burrow is one of their own? He because did, it, he yes, just, because yes, yes, he, yes, he's from Ohio. And yes, he was on the Buckeyes for what two years, but he transferred yeah, he on, because he, he never there. played. He was on there for, I think, the majority of his college career eligibility, except for the last two years. Right. So. The the last two years that he was a starter and became the Joe Burrow that, that we all know now mm-hmm. was when he transferred and went to LSU. Yeah. He never started a game for Ohio State. He he was what the third string quarterback at one point. He will always be a Buckeye because he was a Buckeye at one point. But that doesn't mean that he can be called a Buckeye great. I don't think that people should call him that. Now, he did say that the past couple of days, I think, doing all these interviews and stuff like that. He said that he'll always be a Buckeye and he'll always identify as a Buckeye as well. well as because he's always, from Ohio. He'll, he'll, he'll always identify as, you know, an LSU Tiger because he played for them. He did not become the Joe Burrow that we know today at Ohio State. He became the Joe Burrow that we know today in spite of Ohio State because Ohio State continuously chose somebody else other than him to play quarterback. Mm -hmm. And rightfully so, because he probably did not show that he was as talented as those other guys or they would not have played them. But when he transferred to LSU, he became a different person. He changed his mindset. He understood that he had to think and act differently and prepare differently in order to be a really good starting quarterback. And he he made that internal change in spite of Ohio State. And I think that's something that is, is amazing. I think that we were definitely robbed of an LSU-Ohio State championship game because of a few bad calls in that Clemson-Ohio State game. But I think that when you look back at his story, that is something that will always that we will have to look at, is that he became who he is today in spite of Ohio State, not because. And, and he's that dude. And now he plays for the Bengals and he's going to wreak havoc in the AFC North for the next 15, 20 years. And we'll just have to deal with it. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. We put out these episodes every other Friday, 
But as always, this was a Hyroverse. Thank you to li- thank you for listening to Dom and I go back and forth, and we'll catch you on the next one. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Ohioverse. If you'd like to stay up to date on the show and sporting news in Ohio, go ahead and follow Ohioverse Podcast DDS on Instagram. Also, don't forget to follow deep.dive.sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and listen to any of our shows wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you. And catch you on the next one.